and thanks for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hello! <laughs> it's from, from his dollhouse from afar. Hi! On today's... <laughs> On today's episode, we are going to be talking about what a mastering engineer can do for you. This is, in essence, <laughs> the ultimate sales pitch we have yet to give on this epi- <laughs> on this uh, whole podcast. And I mean, who I don't know what episode number this will be. This will probably be close to episode seventy, which is wow. mind-boggling to even think of. Um, so yeah. Why it really answers the question of why you need a mastering engineer, what a mastering engineer can do for you. And uh, yeah, if nothing else, you should be able to make the decision one way or another. If you're an artist, if you're a band, if you're a producer, mix engineer, uh, by the end of this, my hope is that you're able to at least make the decision I need a mastering engineer, or maybe I don't need one yet. And uh, But if you do need one, we would absolutely love to be here for you as well as any other mastering engineer. And if you are a mastering engineer, you're probably asked countless amounts of time, why do I need mastering? So maybe this will, uh, maybe this episode will give you a little bit of ammunition. So Sam. <laughs> Matt. I'm, I'm just going to go with the 2021. Oh, heck yes. Uh, intro again. So Come on. you ready to... Knock this one out of the park. I am at home plate with You're a cork, bat? a corked bat, ready corked to just bat. knock it out of the park. I'm Are gonna, those illegal? Exactly. That's like doping. Well, so what you're saying is that's how far I'm uh, knocking out of the park. You have a pretty good shot of making this one a home run. Exactly. Very nice. <laughs> All right. Confidence here. No kidding. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's just hop into this one. So Sam, oh, Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you step up to bat and or uh, or tee up? I guess as we were saying in early 2020, mm. and uh, let us know why you think um, uh, on what a mastering engineer can do for you. Excellent. All right, friends. <laughs> friends. Why? I think you need mastering. The main argument that I would start with, it's not really even an argument, it's more of a fact, is that as a mastering engineer, I listen to more songs than almost anyone else. I hear more music than almost anyone else. I listen to more released products than almost anyone else. I will listen to thousands of songs a year and a mixer or a producer or an artist will maybe work on or listen to maybe a hundred or so if they're super busy having a killer year. That would be an insane year. And I work on like that, literally like a thousand, two thousand songs a year. So I have such a vast experience of knowing where mixes are and where they need to go to be called done. People hire mastering engineers and something a mastering engineer can do for you is tell you that your song is done and ready for release and that it will translate to all environments. That to me is the biggest reason to hire a mastering engineer is because we have the experience to know when something is actually done. One of the most common questions I feel like 
that floats around the internet or in forums is always, how do I know when my song is done? The people that ask that question are not mastering engineers. When people ask me that question, I go, I know because I've done literally thousands and thousands of songs and probably thousands of albums at this stage, 10 years in. And you only know when something is done, in my opinion, after you've had years and years of experience of putting records out and watching how they do and seeing if you've hit the client's goal and vision and then seeing how it performs in the market. If you want to compete in the actual music industry, if your goal is to make a living off of it or sell records, etc., So that to me is like the number one reason why I think you should hire a mastering mastering engineer and what a mastering engineer can do for you within that is give you peace of mind to know that the album is done. You don't have to guess. You don't have to know, do the like, well, is it loud enough? Is it going to distort? How's it going to sound on an iPhone? How's it going to sound in the car? For me, those are like mastering 101. That's easy. Like that's muscle memory at this stage. There is no question when I approach song for mastering that revolves around that. So those are the certain things where like when you hire a master engineer and that's all they do, you're going to get the basically the solution to all your what if questions, hopefully. And so for me, that's kind of the number one selling point is that you know, it's the experience and it's the fact that I listen to way more music, work on way more music, and have completed way more records than you will ever do in your life. And so because of that, I can help your project be done and get out and sound the best it can. So that is my first reason why. Do you want me to go to number two, Matt, or do you want to chime in? Oh, I don't care. whatever you want to do okay i can chime in if you want chime in my biggest thing is uh and i guess i'll start this off with a question is have you ever had a problem that has plagued you mentally (laughs) um for an overly abundant obnoxious amount of time yes All right, that's the correct answer. Now, have you ever had somebody that you have told this problem to have an immediate, very accurate, and logical answer for that problem? Yes. Do you know why that is? Because they have gone through it already. And they probably... My problem is probably something they have done over and over again, and they don't even view it as a problem. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. That's and just it my can, opinion. <laughs> no, it's exactly right. And uh, it, it can really be dumbed down to one word, and that word is clarity. Yeah. And that they do not have all of the associated um, tied-up mental faculties with that problem. And so let's transition that over to music. If you've been listening to a mix for weeks, months, however long, I had a record that came to me in 2019 that uh, essentially was being put together for the past 11 years. 
And it wasn't they were sitting on it. It's just like over the 11 years, they were just assembling this record. Um, and luckily they did the right thing and they had it um, mixed by someone who was not them because, I, I mean, it's there's already enough baggage in the record. And it's not bad baggage. It's just like you have like all of this time, literally more than a decade worth of time invested into this record. How do you go about then mixing that? How do you go about mastering that all through the same group of people? So they were very smart, and they went to another mix engineer, and then uh, <clears throat> and then they came to a mastering engineer. And as soon as they had everything down, and I don't know what they were doing, whether it's just demos or whatnot, but I mean the record's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but eleven years into a record, I don't think I would want to mix it i'd have no problem giving like if it was me i'd have no problem giving my input as to how it should be mixed it's probably preferred um and then into mastering they just let it go and they say hey we'll let you do your thing and i mean that was perfect they got it back and they absolutely loved it like zero revisions nothing it's like yeah let's put this out there yeah it's like we're ready for the world to hear this (laughs) finally and i think i think that is the best case scenario and you're essentially hiring people who have no tied-up or associated mental faculties with the record, Yeah, who can impart their own clarity about, this mix sounds good, this does not sound good. And it's not, I mean, from like the basic parts of mastering, and I always start with like quality control. Yeah. And with mastering, it's like, I'll listen to like songs, an album, like whatever, however I want to approach it. And I'll be like, okay, cool. And... I won't even think, how does the bass sound? How does the top end sound? How does this sound? I don't, I don't even think about that because none of that's necessarily important. It's just I listen to so much music, whether it's mine or somebody else's, that I just know how low end should sound. Mm-hmm. And I know how it should sound genre to genre. And if it sounds a little wonky or a little bit outside the genre, then I'll take a note. Or if I get something and something sounds like really wide and kind of like on the sides or phasey or say like the drums are like through the reverb, whatever they did, they're like really recessed in the mix, like off to the left or something like that. Um, it's like I'll take these little tiny notes and I'll, uh, I'll bring them up to the mix engineer, producer, or artist, whoever is sending things to me. And I'll say, hey... Here's a uh, a list of things. I don't do this for every project. It's just if there's something that's a little weird that I can't fix, um, I'll be like, hey, just wanted to double check, uh, make sure that this was intentional, that this is supposed to be this way. Because sometimes I'll get records that are really kind of far out, mm-hmm. and it's like, yep, that's how I wanted to do it. And there was like a single that was released, and it was literally just done on room mics. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> if that's what you want, we can, we can put that out. So... Uh, but yeah, I just you just making sure that like something wasn't muted, like everything except for the room mics. So, I mean, and mistakes happen all the time. It's like how many times have you sent off a master and then somebody calls you back and says, "Hey, dude, I accidentally had this part muted." Mm-hmm. It's like, and how many tracks on a mix? It's like, is that going to be the possibility? Uh, I mean, the possibility is actually pretty darn high. Um, and it's like, yeah, I have no problem running that through, so long as it's not like some crazy dynamic. Not so change. Normally, I have I have no issue. Like if my schedule's not slammed or something, but um, nine times out of ten, I'll have no problem rerunning that. It's a simple mistake. It's not somebody 
like deliberately making a change or something like out of like like oh well now I hear it loud now I want another part it's like no 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 I can't do that so it's like the first step is quality control and it's like hey let's make st- sure stuff's in phase it's like if I hear a kick that's like n- like you can tell it wants to kick but it's not kicking maybe like maybe they did something weird and they had like a two, like a like a double miking situation on a kick drum and one of the mics is like or maybe both the mics are out of phase or i i don't know there's like a weird phase situation where now the woofer cone on your speaker or your sub is now sucking in instead of kicking out mm-hmm. and i mean i i mean it's kind of cool i have like a little button on my manly console that can just invert the phase and like figure that right out but normally I'll have them go fix that. But it's like you just have those little things and you have somebody who just all they do is they listen to music. And you you don't want a mastering engineer who's going to be like, oh, let me just turn all these knobs and make sure like this sounds completely different. It's like you're – it's like I'm like all anal. I'm like resetting all these knobs to like zero. <laughs> um, you want somebody who has every like tool to fix what you need to fix, not necessarily gear. But it could be plugins. Mainly the ear is what's important, um, and the heart to want to fix it. Um, and they take it to where it needs to go, and they take it to where they mentally say, at this point, there's nothing I can do to make it sound any better than it sounds right now, and that's in a very positive light. Not like, oh, man, there's nothing I can do. Um, but it's like, there's nothing I can do to make this sound any better than it does right now. And it's like, I have like delivered this to where this song wants to go. And I don't know, it's like you have some people, they say uh, mastering is kind of like painting or it's kind of like putting together a puzzle or I don't know what your metaphor is, Sam. But um, mine, for some reason, I don't like dancing, but I kind of view it like a dance. <laughs> and I've said this on the last few episodes. I mean, ask my wife. I don't really care for dancing. I do. Um, get a few drinks of me at a wedding. And man, I'm like dance king. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I just kind of view it as a dance. And, like, you you do this enough and the song tells you where it wants to go, I mm-hmm. feel like. Mm-hmm. And it's like, once again, I've you listen to so much music as a mastering engineer, you just know where this song in this genre wants to go. And if something's lacking, it's like, hey, let's just see if we can, uh, like, this is like a really intimate song. Let's see how intimate we can get that vocal. Or let's see, like, how present we can get this. Or, hey, maybe uh, this will do this cool thing. Or, hey, like, it's a little bit dynamic. What if we were to give this, like, a tiny squeeze? Um, That's what's what's going on. You don't want somebody that's going to, like, throw the whole phone book at it and be like, oh, well, I have this to do this and this to do this and this to do this. Like, that's not what you want. So... That's with me is like I want to – and I, I, I said this in a gear episode and Sam and I were talking before this and who knows if that episode will air before this episode. Um, but gear to me is there to solve a problem and I only want to do exactly uh, what the song is telling me to do. And it sounds very weird. It sounds very uh, subconscious, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that's how I view it. It's just like a weird primal thing that's 
the song literally can just talk to you and tell you where it wants to go. And I mean, there are some songs too, even when it comes to loudness, um, I'll deliver it. And I might, uh, if I'm really good friends with the producer or mix engineer or whoever I'm delivering it back to, who delivered it to me or whoever's next that I'm supposed to deliver it to, if we're really comfortable, be like, hey, the, like the song only really wanted to go this loud. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want some more level, just let me know. Um, that's absolutely no problem, but I'm not seeing a reason for it to go any louder than this, especially for where it's going to end up in distribution-wise. So it's like, I don't know, you, you just want somebody who's going to uh, help to essentially carry your your album, your songs, your whatever across the line. And I believe that's completely what a mastering engineer is there to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just to make it sound as best as possible and make, uh, make some sexy sounding records. <laughs> so, yeah, and then essentially getting back to my main point is you want someone who doesn't have any baggage in the project. Yeah. Who doesn't have however many tens of thousands of dollars invested into this record. And it's like, you get some of these records from labels and stuff like that, and you can have a $30,000 record hitting your desk. And it's like, the artist has all this t- this money and everything invested, and it's like, you're done mastering, and then like the label's like, okay, we're going to wait four months. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, I don't have any of that invested. It's like, I am literally just the lone ranger of, I want to make your music sound as best as it can and uh it's like it's in the name of my business it's like for the record it's like that's why i'm here (laughs) so what say you sam oh man i would say that uh everything you just said was real nice (laughs) (laughs) i agree with you i i don't need to reiterate it but i agree with you um you know one of the other reasons for me of why you should have a master engineer master your music is and this kind of goes into uh, a bit into I don't know music as a whole is I view and I try to educate my mixers and producers that like a mix isn't a finished product um, it's like one step away from being finished but I really try and help people understand that a mix should sound like a mix. And for a lot of people, they don't even know what that means. Because we live in a world where mixers and producers and artists are mainly just hearing mastered tracks. So they didn't get to hear what the mix sounded like to then allow that master, you know, to get the album to where you hear it. And for me, we can only hit the reference that the client wants it to sound like if the mix allows it. If the mix is like already too compressed, and this, I'm all for compression limiting. I like loud records. And by loud records, I mean not a lot of dynamics. I also like dynamic records. But the majority of what I get is not dynamic. Um, But certain mixes then set up me to use my mastering gear and more so just my mastering mindset to 
then finish the album and make it feel complete and done. And everything is a process, like in life in general. And when you start to try and like shortcut it and call something done or rush it, it's kind of like when you cook a steak. The number one mistake people make is usually they pull it off the grill and cut it right open and they don't let it rest for five minutes. So they basically pull the meat when they think it's done, but then they cut it and it's still either, it's either going to finish cooking and you'll be over, like if you want medium, you should pull right before medium because then you have to allow the resting time for the juices to like re basically situate because you just seared the shit out of it for 10 minutes on both sides or five minutes side. And by the time, if you just take the steak to medium while it's on the grill, it's going to be like medium well by the time you're going to eat it because it's going to keep cooking and then it's going to be tougher. So to me, that's like when a mixer wants to just master their own thing or the artist's Whoever, whatever the situation is where they're like, we don't need to hire a mastering person. It sounds good enough or it's there. It's like you don't, you don't really know that because you don't have the experience to say that, but also you're rushing the process that we can look at like the history of music for the last 50 years and every record is mastered. <laughs> Like, and sometimes that's done by somebody at home, you know, like a, somebody engineered it, produced it, mixed it, mastered it, like a solo artist or something. And this isn't an argument of whether or not you can make a, a great sounding record or a successful record by mastering it yourself. But for the most part, the best albums, the, the albums that sell consistently the highest are made up of people that do what they do best. There's very few albums that are all done by one person that have done well. Um, and that's that should mean something. And for people, artists or mixers or people that continual continually scratch their head on like, why am I not like making progress? And my answer is usually like, well, you're trying to go about this in a way that we have almost so much proof that the way you're trying to do it doesn't work. If you really want to become like a household name, there is a process for that. If you want to get signed by a label, there is a process and a quality that's required for that. If you want to get on New Music Friday on Spotify's playlist, they're looking for a certain type of sound. And if you don't know what that is and you don't know how to get there, you don't know how to compete with major labels like... Justin Bieber, that's your competition if you're in pop. Really, the genres to me almost now are irrelevant. Like everyone's your competition because it all gets tossed mm-hmm. into a playlist now at this stage. And that's like continually the number one thing people ask me, not number one, but top five things. How do I get on playlists? How do I get on playlists? How do I get on playlists? How did you get this on playlists? How do you, like today, Matt and I are actually recording on Friday, but I have a couple songs on New Music Friday. I've already had people ask me, how did you get those songs on there? And it's like, the artist has been like doing the process. You know, they have fans. They hired a team. The song sounds terrific. They hired a bunch of people that are all great at what they do 
and pretty much do one thing. And then they hired me to call it done to compete with what's out there because that's all I do is finish albums. So to me, like a mix isn't a finished product. And if you think it is finished, then I would just challenge you to. I mean, you can even hit me up. I will give you a free sample master to hear the difference between, you know, I'll call it a faux master and a real master. And I think you will hear the difference. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Mm. Um, I have like never had someone not be like, oh my gosh, I did not know my music could sound like that and sound that good in the last 10 years. Well, more like last five years. But I just want to encourage people that like, it may be hard to hear, but the mix, and if the mixer thinks their mix is the master, then you probably need to find a mixer who doesn't operate that way. Because all the great mixers that we celebrate, give awards to, win Grammys, none of them are mastering their own mixes. You might have like, Mike Dean, who occasionally has done like Kanye stuff or Travis Scott stuff, like mixed and mastered. Or you have like a rare case of a Skrillex Diplo combo where they may master some of the songs and mix them. But for 99% of the other times, it's not that case. So to me, like a mix isn't a finished product. And that's one of the reasons why you should hire a master engineer because you're on step nine of 10. And if you put out something that's not done, I genuinely believe that hurts your chances of competing, which hurts your chances of making money, which hurts your chances of being able to do what you love for a living. And this isn't like a fear tactic or a scarcity thing. This is me giving you good advice after 10 years of watching artists who I thought would make it, who don't and who do the people that continually grow usually have a team around them. And it's not, I'm not talking about marketing PR, that's important. But they have a team of people that do one, two things really well. And they go with that team and they trust that team. And for me, like the mixers that I love always just say, like, hey, here's the mix. I'm giving it to you to finish it. And when you have that mindset, like that trust, then the end product is always incredible. And everybody's usually super stoked. But as soon as someone like producer, mixer, artist starts to try and choke the mastering engineer, then the project usually gets strange and the potential of the song never gets reached. And that's a sad thing as a master engineer, always knowing where the song could go. But if we're not allowed to do what we do best, then you're not going to get the best end product. And that's all there is to it. So that's my point too. A mix isn't a finished product. Matt, what do you think? No, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I mean, and you have, I mean, I don't know. It's like, would you say there's any cases where a mastering engineer is not required? It's like, let's go ahead and let's play devil's advocate here for a second. Yeah, I mean, there are times where I will master my own rap stuff if the Uh rapper wants me to master it. 
and I feel like I can still do that. So there's always pushback with anything like, I feel like with anything I've ever said or we say on this podcast, like context is key. And like I said, there's always occasions where you have like a Mike Dean or maybe even like the project for the label has to get done and they're saying like, it's better for us to get this out and make money than to wait another week and miss a release date and lose that money on the chance that the sonic quality is going to change. The interesting with, thing with what I just said is like we saw Kanye West pull songs down <laughs> and remix and remaster them because they weren't ready, but he rushed releases. Like hmm. we've seen that happen on the last two Kanye albums. And the fans legitimately spoke up and said, hey, this sounds like crap. <laughs> Like, hmm. go, someone messed up. Mike Dean messed up. Someone messed up. You guys rushed the release. Because Kanye was already, like, weeks behind on his last two albums, which costs everyone so much money. But we've literally seen that happen where he'll pull music, they'll remix and remaster it to make it sound better, <laughs> and then put it back out. And then people are like, oh, finally, I can actually enjoy this. So that's that doesn't answer your question, but that's something to think about is like your fans want to enjoy your music, and if it's not translating or sounding right, they won't enjoy it and they won't listen to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you said, like you spend all this time and money, and why would you stop? But to answer your question, like there are definitely times where, I mean, I know you can master your own music because I do it sometimes. But I also think I have a unique perspective in that I was trained by some of the best mix engineers and some of the best mastering engineers before I really got into this. So that's something I know, like I've been educated on how do you need to approach a mix, what mindset you have to have and how do you communicate with that. And then I've also been trained on how do you master, what mindset does that require and how do you deal with the people involved with that. That's the only reason why I confidently feel like yes, Sure, if you want me to do both, I can do both because I have a proven track record too of things I've mixed and mastered doing really well, like on Billboard or number ones within Billboard genres and iTunes. Like, I have that experience and credibility to say, yes, I can do this. And the industry we're in seems to think so as well. So I think when you're at that stage, when you've been equipped, and trained to do the thing, I think to me it's okay to do it. Like I do it not not thinking like, oh, they're probably getting a lesser product because I don't know what I'm doing. I think those are two totally different situations. If I had never been trained in mastering and someone was like, hey, let's just master and I just like throw up a plugin or a mastering preset, I would personally like ethically feel bad about that because I know like, I'm just kind of like hoping it turns out all right. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And to me, that's just not fair to like the client. So it's not a great way to build a business. It's also mm-hmm. not, I don't know, it's just, it just isn't what professionals do, I'll say, usually. Um, so I would say like you can master your own mixes but you should be equipped and trained to do that. And then if you are not, then I would not recommend it. I would say you're not giving yourself a chance, your music a chance. It's just like, 
I don't try to play drums because I'm not a drummer. Like, there's so many things within the music spectrum that I don't do because I'm not trained in them. So I don't ever try to advertise that or promote it or sell it. Or if a client came to me, I would say, no, don't. I'm not your guy, but here's five other people that that's all they do day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy thing to do is pass work around. Like that's how you stimulate the music economy is you allow people to do what they do best. You get a better end product. It does better when it comes out usually. You make more money. You get to turn around and do what you like again. So that's my opinion. What do you think? I mean, I think that anyone can make a cupcake, but I think <laughs> that I would probably like a cupcake more made from a pastry chef mm-hmm. than just like Funfetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's probably the easiest way I can probably dial things down. Um, so I <laughs> back to music and off food. Um <laughs> I think there's benefit in removing music from the room that it was created in. Yes. Um, There's a lot of uh, unknowns that can creep up in in the mixing and the production side and even the tracking side of things. Um, And it's kind of funny because I have these like mental profiles of all the people that I work with. And not necessarily of them, but of their room. It's like, okay, this is coming from this one person. And they normally have a buildup that they can't hear. And around 212 to 214, there's a little bit of like weird, like 124, 126. And I know we're going to, there might be an issue on this type of genre whenever they push it hard in this way, around 350. Um, Vocals are normally good, but we should probably kind of like look into the four range. Like, if is there going to be any mud? Like, especially with this type of genre. And this person physically told me that they uh, don't like how their overheads sound, but they don't care. So we're going to have to deal with a high end situation. So it's like I have like very specific profiles for people that like these are probably going to be areas that I need to focus on. I don't put too much merit into that um, because I'm going to be looking for problems at that point. However, I can mentally like prepare myself for like, okay, these are known issues and areas and I'd say a handful of the people that I work with, I've been to their rooms and whatnot, like whether a listening party or whatnot and um, you kind of hear the room and you're like, huh, this, uh, I was not wrong. <laughs> He's <laughs> just like, yep, you like literally cannot hear like this frequency range in this room. And it's like, I'm like the nerd. I'll pull out like the little, uh, little, uh, it's not, it's not a graphic EQ. It's, what's it called? It's an app on my phone. It's really accurate too. Um, there's a, like at my church, it's like one of the, it's a big church. They have a, uh, uh, like one of those boom arms that like swings a camera around and stuff like that for mm-hmm. a cool shot. And they have this like really, really, really old CRT TV that does the monitoring on the side of the boom, which I don't know why they have that. It's like, just get a tiny flat screen. And uh, it emits this like 15K tone, like that all CRT like 
tube TVs did. And uh, I can take this EQ, I can take this like, uh, it's not an EQ, what is it called? FFT plot. I, that, that's the app if you want it. And I can like take that up pretty close to it. And uh, you'll just see like 15K just like start to start to go up. And you'll hear that tone. Um, but uh, yeah, you'll just kind of, you'll just be noticing a little bit. Or it's like I've even gotten some stuff in. I don't know, it maybe happens once or twice a year. You just have something, and it's like 6 dB of, like, 14K. You're just like, like, like when, when like, barely anything's going on, or maybe it's, like, just in the chorus and, like, just some instruments putting it out. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, cool. I can go into FabFilter, the EQ, and uh, I can just, like, make the notch from hell and then just... Literally send that band there, <laughs> and you just you just notch it out. Um, so yeah, I like mentally make these like little tiny profiles about people's rooms and how they mix, and it's like okay, these are probably going to be little tiny things that I need to focus on. So that's the benefit in removing something from a room is uh, just the added quality control you get. It's like if you get somebody who's got kind of like a weird mixing or like production monitoring setup and stuff's not it's like it doesn't even have to be like perfect but it's like if you have uh <laughs> if you have your speakers laid out to the absolute right and absolute left flank of your desk and it's not actually measured correctly well i mean you're gonna have some issues and it's like if i see that i'm like okay well there might be some interesting spatial things happening coming in and i mean i'm not saying i'm always right but uh, when i see that i'm never <laughs> i'm never really wrong <laughs> or you see someone who has like speakers angled down towards them yeah and it's like uh that's not supposed to be how that is so yeah i don't i don't know it just it helps to get something out of the room it helps and it's like most people don't monitor with a sub and i i still don't understand it um, I get it. Low end can build up in rooms and stuff like that, but it's like freaking treat for it. It's yeah. like learn it, and then learn like what you can't hear, and then learn how to go and like monitor that. Monitor that. Right. Um, it's like you hear something that like you know should be there because they put it there, or maybe there is something really creative down there, like a really cool low end extension. And I was like, yeah, you should like, like I loved what you did down there, and they're like. Oh, I didn't even hear that. Right. And it's like, well, shoot. <laughs> How is this good for anybody? Right. And people are like, well, the low end builds up in my room. It's like, well, then turn the sub really far down. <laughs> and it's like, don't turn it really loud. It's like, you should literally just have the extension right. on what's going down. And it's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, Sam, you with barefoots, it's like, you can hear the low end. You can monitor down there. Because that's what I think you have the footprints. That's what they're made. Is that what you have? Yeah, yeah. That's the what original, they're made the original to do. Ones, not the twos. Yeah, the bigger and, ones. And I believe you've said before. You actually, it's not that you feel it like with a sub, but like you hear it and you perceive how right. low they go. Yeah, it has and tangibility like the, in the low end. Yeah. So it's like I know with my Proax, it's like I'm not like I. They have a fantastic range. But I would much rather my Velodyne sub 
Like, that's the most musical subwoofer I've ever heard in my life. I'd much rather that takeover at 89 hertz yeah. going down, and it can manage the crossover going down. And that sucker without distortion, I believe the figure is, it's like some crazy, like, thousands of watts of power, too. And I think it extends down to, like, 18.7 hertz accurately. Yeah. And so it's like, especially in these times when we're dealing with octaves that, like, previous generations have never really even had to worry about. Um, I don't see there really ever having been a more important time to do anything right without a sub, but or something that accurately extends down into that range. So, and Sam, you used to have, a, you used to use a sub with your old Genelax, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's like you know what that low end extension should be. So it's not like you're just kind of like pissing into the wind coming into this blind. It's like you know exactly what should be down there, and you know these barefoots well enough that you know that they're accurate. Right. That, like, you're getting, like, really solid, really well-translating mixes or masters. Right. So, yeah, that that's a big one for me. And yeah. I'll have some people, they'll send me uh, a master, be like, hey, how do you think this sounds? And just friends of mine just curious, like, how, like, their stuff sounds. I'm like, no, it sounds really good. And I said is there any type of shelving going on? And they're like, no, not on my end. And I said, what's with the low end? And they're like, I don't really know. And I said, I guarantee you they didn't mix this with a sub because they're, per their genre, they wouldn't have done what they did mm-hmm. if they would have had a sub because the low end doesn't stop at 50. Right. <laughs> but their low end stops at 50. So, and I'm sure whatever sample they were using didn't stop at 50. But somewhere along the line, they probably heard that a mix or whatever, like shelving certain things is probably advantageous. Or I don't know. Yeah. So even like little tiny things, it's like you get like, it's not often, but I'll get stuff that's pretty darn near perfect that doesn't need a lot of mastering. And it's just like you just have like a little bit of like noise or something like that. And if you have a condenser mic and you have like an air conditioner turn on or you live by a highway or you live by train tracks or something like that and you just have like a little bit of a rumble, I just, man, I just hop onto my backs and you just kind of click up to maybe 24 hertz on a cut and, man, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You're good to rock and roll. So it's like even if it's just like a little tiny cleaning up, so... Yeah, it's like, and not everything needs to go screaming loud. I mean, a mastering engineer, it's like loudness, like everyone's perceiving a mastering engineer to make things loud. And while, loud, while loudness happens, it's more just a part of the process. Yeah. As opposed to, it's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, I go on my, like, I look at my meters. I see where I'm ending up after. I'm like, okay, cool. It's like, I think we're there. And then like, you just... You just add a couple clicks or however many you need, and you're like, cool. You look at the converter. It's like, I'm not hitting it too hard and not no distortion or anything. It's like, all right, let's see what happens. And sometimes you drive it too much, and sometimes you're you're good. Sometimes you have to dial it back, and sometimes you have to make up some of the stuff that you can't uh, print as well. As it's like it, it's it it it's all good, but right. you just you, you just you just need to know how to how to deliver things. So it's like it, stuff doesn't always have to be slammed. I mean, there there were a few things for a video project I was helping with, and 
I delivered them and I'm like, hey, this isn't like, like I'm not making these crazy loud, but since this is going to end up on YouTube, uh, just as a part of a video, uh, I mean, YouTube's going to turn it down anyway. And I, it's like maybe delivering it at like the absolute peaks at maybe minus seven, which is uh, a good bit. And this is RMS. It's a good bit quieter than I normally will deliver something. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's like I'll let like this breathe a little bit. And it's like if you want to turn it up on your end, you can turn it up on your end. Or I can do that. I, I have I have absolutely no problem doing that. But seeing where this is going, I don't see a reason for it to go louder. Yeah. And so just being able to do that, and it's like you just kind of bring like presence and clarity to certain areas. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, what if I just take this? Like I hear some birds like on the side. That's kind of cool. So let's go ahead and let's switch this Masalik into MS. Let's do like a little bit of a shelf action on the on the right side channel. And it's like, it's kind of cool. Like mid one of these like, acoustic guitar sessions like a bird flew from the left to the right and if you listen close you can hear the bird go from like one side to the other and he's like chirping while he's flying (laughs) it's really cool so it's just like those little tiny things it's like you can just add this little bit more presence to it so and it doesn't take much normally so i think uh i think that's about all i have to say that's great on my monologue number two Love it. But it's like, do you, it's like, do you need to, like, can you master your own mixes? It's like, sure. Um, <clears throat> like, even if you have a, mic, uh, a mastering engineer, I don't mind getting, uh, I think Sam and I call them heated mixes, but some people call them pre-masters, some people call them faux masters, whatever. I mean, I don't mind hearing what you've been listening to at volume. Right. Um, and sometimes I'll deliver... Uh, quieter than that reference, just because I'm like, I don't think it's appropriate for it to go this loud. But if you would like it that loud, I can make that happen. Nine times out of ten, I will deliver that loud or louder. Um, But, I mean, if you have it slammed to minus two and it's like, well, you have no low end anymore and you had a lot before you did that. So um, I'm going to try to preserve this as best I can. So, um, yeah, you get those little tiny judgment calls. And I mean that's what makes it creative, and that's what makes it fun, and um, yeah. So I think that's all I have to say, Sam. Sweet. Yeah. Anything else? <sighs> mm, I mean, uh, not really. I think the importance. I mean, my little last thought is the importance of room control is really important, and that's something you touched on. And I think people. One of the number one things like people I feel like say about mastering or my work is I make the low end feel really good. And a lot of times they want to know how I did it and it's it's because I heard it. <laughs> like it's that simple. <laughs> where like I try to then tell them, like you said, like get a sub or something. I don't know when that started in the audio community that subs were bad. Um, because there are build up build ups all over the place with regular monitors with mid range top end phase cancellation, like the low end is just as important as the mid range top end, and I really argue now at this stage that if you can get the low end right, the mid range and top end takes care of itself almost always mm. um and when I mix, 
And if I engineer, which is sometimes, very rarely, but I always focus on getting the low end correct. And when I do that, I do far less EQing on the mid to top end areas of things because everything starts with the low end and then it extends, frequencies extend, harmonics, everything extends after that kind of naturally. So if you can get the bottom to sit right, then the rest of it has like a solid foundation and there's no issues. But if you never hear that low end correctly, then it's like you're overloading the mix or the, even the master, if you're a master engineer and you don't have proper low end, um, you know, it, it, you're basically trying to build a song off a very weak foundation and that always equals a bad sounding song. So to me, my last little tidbit, I just want to say what you said, which is if you don't hear your low end correctly, then you're you're doing yourself a disservice. And that is one of the main, if we want to get technical, technical reasons to hire a master engineer is because they actually get to hear your whole mix. And because I get to do that, that's how I make records sound better um, is because I'm hearing things you literally have never heard in your mix. And it's not so much that you're missing things, but it's because sometimes people will push back and say like, well, it's, you know, it sounds good already. And so whatever I'm missing, it's like, it doesn't matter. But when we get to the mastering stage and when we talk about loudness, we're talking about a limited amount of voltage we get in headroom. And so in order at the mix stage, you might be able to get away with like low end, just eating up as much space as you want because your mix might be peaking at like, you know, negative eight or something. I mean, most people run it up, but if you are wanting your song to sound loud, like what you hear on the radio, if you listen to it, you probably don't, but on Spotify, you want to go into the mastering stage with as much room as possible and the thing that eats up the most room in a mix and in a master is low end because it eats up the most voltage. So that's something where a lot of people will get their masters back and how I make them loud is by rebalancing the whole song because their low end was just totally out of control. Um, and that's that's one of the main spots. I mean, we've talked about in other episodes Number one thing I probably adjust and need to adjust is low end. It's a consistent issue with almost everyone I work with outside of mixers who have invested into great monitors and great setup to then control their monitors that they just bought that are able yeah. to go extend that low. And that's equally as important as buying good monitors is being able to control the low end once those monitors are in your room. And that's something I didn't understand for a lot of years. And probably up until the last five years, I always thought, well, the low end looks pretty good when I shoot the room, but the de like decay times, I've become obsessed with decay times with low end because to me, decay time with everything is almost more important than flatness. Mm -hmm. um, they go hand in hand, but 
there's so many times where you can have a room shooting pretty flat, but your decays can be all over the place, which really tricks your ear because your ear is different than a microphone. <laughs> so a mono microphone RTA mic only gives you like one kind of way to hear something. And we have two ears. We hear in stereo, essentially, in my opinion. And a mono RTA only hears in mono, and it's also not a human. So there is something to be said about decay time reverberation within the room and how that reacts as well. And that's, to me, one of the main things a master engineer hopefully has is not just great monitors, but a great room that allows their ears to actually hear the music correctly so that when it does come out into like your car that has no acoustic treatment and the speaker's just shooting into glass windows and everything, that it's still sounding as close as it can as opposed to working in a crummy room where it's already kind of reflecting and decaying weirdly and then you get it into the car and the car is just amplifying the terribleness. <laughs> like you're tr You just need to give yourself the best chance you can um, in my opinion, if you're serious about audio, and I think that includes working with a mastering engineer. So um, that's where I'll leave it for today. And I really don't have much else to say. So if anyone yeah, has any I'm good questions, feel free to hit Matt and I up. If you've never yeah. had your mix mastered by a mastering engineer, hit Matt or I up. I won't speak for him, but I'd be down to give you a free sample so you can hear an approach from a master engineer if you've yeah, never I do had that, all that the time too. so you can just at least know there's zero commitment to hire um, me or Matt I would assume um, but you could at least know the value that's there or I don't know maybe maybe your master is better it rarely happens but sometimes I can't lie. I'm not going to lie to people. Like, there have been maybe five or six in 10 years where the mix, the team's like, we like the mixer slam master better. And at that point, I just go, okay, that's fine. And that's that. So, anyway, that's all I got. Matt, take us home. Nice. Well, if, uh, if you like what you heard, leave us uh, a review on iTunes, please. Some stars, some likes, some comments would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, also, and almost more importantly um, to us is, if you like what you heard, if you could share this podcast with a friend. Yes. That would be absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, our growth has really been through our own like bizarre social media marketing, which is Sam posts something and then I take a screenshot of it and I repost it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's really been our social media that's our marketing, marketing plan. Yeah, there, there, there really isn't any. So all 112,000 downloads, there's no more, there's no like multi-level marketing plan here. There's no, there's no pyramid scheme. There's no, there's, there's none of that. We're not going to be spamming you with a bunch of emails or anything. It's just, just two dudes talking into a microphone. Normally on a Wednesday, today on a Friday. So, uh, so yeah, if you like what you heard, if you could share it with a friend, that would mean the absolute world to us. Um, yeah. 
I believe Sam more than likely has a sweet beat queued up from BeesaBeats.com. Oh, yeah. If you like the beat, you can buy it over at Sam's website, BeesaBeats.com. Buy Sam's Beats. Uh, if you like some merch, we have that. I believe this episode will probably air around the beginning of July, which means in two or three weeks, I will be having a kid. <laughs> so that merch needs to be gone before I send it to Sam. So... I am mid-building a nursery. I just need to clean my crap out of it, and then it's built. And uh, <laughs> Which means it's already done. I just need to clean. It's the worst part, taking everything back downstairs. And uh, yeah, so if you'd like some merch, we have some socks. Like, who doesn't love socks in the summer? Uh, but they're tube socks. They got cool attack and release show design on it. And we have, we have sassy mugs. <laughs> I'd say they're sassy. And last but not least, we have some nice, uh, you know, little rocks glasses. You can you can put a little clear li- uh, liquid in, a little brown liquid, some fizzy liquid. Or you can, like, you know, put some other things in that, muddle that thing, put a little thing here and a little thing here, put something in the little mixer thing, and then a little uh, shake-shake over ice, and you're good to go. You know, a little garnish, you know, a twist of orange or lemon, whatever, you know, whatever have you. Maybe a... Maybe a frou-frou umbrella if that's uh, if that's your taste. Well, no, no judging here. But yeah, we have some of those glasses. They're called resting glasses. You should chill out. 2020's been a bit of a wild year. We all need some rest. So anywho, I've gone on this ad long enough. If you'd like any merch, hop on over to theattackandreleaseshow.com and buy some merch. Uh, I don't think I have anything else left to plug, say, or do. So whatever you're having, morning, afternoon, or evening... Have a darn good one. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next episode. Bye.